We're going to do it one more time. He is risen. All right, I love it. For those who aren't churchy, or maybe you haven't uh, had a church background, I know that's weird uh, that we keep doing this, but it is an ancient tradition that goes back to the establishment of the early church. When Jesus first was resurrected from the dead, there was an angel who appeared to the women who had come to the tomb to prepare his body, and he said, what are you looking for here? The tomb is empty because he is risen. And so for centuries, for the last couple thousand years, we have done this thing called the Pascal offering, which is to say he is risen to another person who follows Jesus to the response of he is risen indeed. Most famously, perhaps, though, was a time when Mary, the mother of Jesus, went up to the emperor who was defying Christianity. And as he challenged her, she stood and looked him in the face and said, he is risen. And that's a powerful saying, and that's sort of what I want us to focus on today, because this saying is something that carries weight to it. It's not just an ancient tradition that we pass on from generation to generation. It's not just something we do so we have something to say on an Easter Sunday. It is something that we say because of its implications. Today we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And we celebrate that not only does he live in spirit, but he lives in body. And that because of that, there's implications for our life today. This isn't just something we celebrate that happened a long, long time ago. And we kind of look back and it is history, but we don't just look at it as that. We don't just look at it as this sort of marker in the past that we can read in a textbook and say, oh, that's good to know that happened. This is something we genuinely believe has the power to affect our day-to-day living. And so we're going to look at God's Word and see what it has to say about some of these things. We're going to be in two different passages today. The first one I'd love for you to turn with me to is Matthew 28. We're going to start here to sort of get a sense of the story of what happened on the first Resurrection Sunday. And then a little later, if you want to get your finger in place, we're going to skip ahead to Revelation chapter 1, which is the last book of the Bible. And there we're going to sort of unpack a little bit more about what Jesus' resurrection means. But if you don't have a Bible, uh, it's going to be on the screens. There's also your phone or tablet, whatever. And if you want, if you don't have one, we have Bibles available in the front entrance. Those are just Uh, a free gift for you. If you want to know more about what the Bible says about who God is and this thing we study, uh, feel free to go out there, take one, take it home with you. Uh, We just want people to be able to have access to what we call the Word of God. So as we come to this, though, I want to also be aware that there's a lot of us in this room today who know the story. We know these traditions. Perhaps we've been doing this for decades and you know we can kind of come a little bit perhaps not jaded but numb to what we're going to talk about today because we've heard it so many times time and time again and so for just a moment what I would love you to do whether you're new to this Easter story thing or whether you've heard it time and time again is to just stop for a second and think what does Easter Sunday mean to me? What does that statement, he is risen, mean? 
God, it's easy to come to your word and to study it, but to also get caught up in the fact that we've, some of us, studied this for decades. And God, if we're honest, if I'm honest, sometimes it can be easy to just sort of gloss over it. And we can celebrate it, but really not fully. And so, God, we just want to offer this time to you today. Whatever came to mind, whatever someone maybe wrote down, God, would you speak uh, louder than that today? Would you just cut through Holy Spirit to really hit our hearts and our minds today so that we would be able to have an even more encouraging Easter Sunday because we really truly celebrate on a new level today what it means that you are risen. And so, God, we give this time over to you. Would these words not be mine, but would they be yours? And we just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to this place in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 10 in a sec. We've sort of been on a journey with Jesus. If you were to read sort of the whole account that Matthew, Jesus' friend, gave, you'd see that, yeah, we know Christmas sort of thing. Jesus was born, and then he lived, and then all along the way, he's been making all sorts of claims. He's been doing all sorts of miracles. He's been showing a sort of new and better way. He's even performed one of the greatest miracles just shortly before this piece of history, this day that we'll read about, is that he's just raised someone from the dead. And after that, he's gone and he's traveled into Jerusalem, where people, masses and masses of people have come to gather to celebrate the Passover. Now, for those who don't know, the Passover is when God saved his people thousands of years earlier than Jesus arrived on the scene, from, and God had saved them from captivity and slavery and death in the nation of Egypt. By the way, if you want to learn more about this, this is what we're going to be studying as a church starting next Sunday. It's really exciting to see how this is all connected because God chose this time for when he wanted to come, and as we go back and study, we're going to read more and more into the things we're talking about today. But as the people gathered, they were celebrating the central piece of the Jewish story. And as Jesus came in, the people celebrated him because of expectations. We talked about that last Sunday, if you were with us. But then Jesus pulled aside his closest friends and followers. And he began to, to bring them in for sort of a huddle around a dinner, a time that they would have together. And he explained that God once again was going to save people from slavery. But this time, not slavery to the, the new Roman occupiers who they were dealing with in their day, but the slavery that people had to sin and to death. And he explained that in a few moments, in a few hours, over the next few days, something extraordinary is going to take place. As he sat down with them, he explained that his body would be broken, that he would shed his blood, all so that they could enter into a new phase of life with God. He said there's going to be a new covenant, a new promise that's going to be made with you in the coming days. After that, we see that Jesus was betrayed from one of, by one of his closest friends, a guy named Judas. And because of this betrayal, Jesus is taken into court and he's kind of thrown around through this sort of fake, bogus trial case that's taken place. And the people decide that, you know what, we want to get rid of this guy today. 
And so after enduring a whole bunch of torture and mockery and pain, they have Jesus pick up a cross, which was the Roman instrument of torture in their day, and, he has, and they have him walk it up a hill through the streets as people mock him along the way. And then when he gets there, he lays down on this piece of wood with his hands and his feet bound. They drive spikes through him. They pierce his side, and they leave him to die in that place. And this was a difficult time because we see that Jesus' body was, in fact, broken. His blood and all the fluids that were within them gushed out. And as that took place, many of his closest friends took off and they went and hid, except for a couple who took his body down after he had breathed his last and took him into a borrowed tomb and left him as they went away for their Sabbath, for the Jewish traditional day of rest, this day that was supposed to be set aside for worshiping God. And I can't help but wonder what they were probably trying to do in worshiping in those days. But then something different happened the next day. And that's where we pick up today. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. The angel then said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he has said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them along the way. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know, as, as I think about the full context of that story, as I, I, I can't help but wonder what Jesus' followers must have been thinking before encountering him in this moment as they walked along the way after the Sabbath up to the tomb. They just heard Jesus time and time again talk about how he was going to live, how he was going to show who he was, how he was the fulfillment of all that God had promised his people. And he told them that I am going to live and conquer the slavery of this day. Now I wonder if what maybe they thought was, well, I, I, I guess he does live on in spirit. <laughs> you know, I can remember the things that he said. I can remember the miracles he performed and the interesting moments that we had along the way as we've journeyed through with him for the last three years. I can remember that and I can hold on to that. Maybe that's what Jesus was trying to say. But there was this powerful encounter afterwards where Jesus showed them and the fullness of his glory, of who he was, of what leads us to want to praise and worship him. He showed them that, no, he wasn't just alive in spirit, 
but he was alive in body when he was raised on that third day. Now, there's many people who might ask, how do we know? And there's all sorts of arguments for, that we can get into why for that. And I'm not going to get into all of them today, except for to say that there were a lot of people who saw him after the day he rose out of the grave. First here, we see that there's the two Marys. Then we'll see that in Galilee, he meets with his 11 followers who were left alive after his death and resurrection. And then he will show up to an eyewitness group of 500 people who could verify that Jesus indeed was no longer in the grave, that he'd come back to life. And this is pretty remarkable. This is two people in a short little while, right? Jesus has just raised this guy, Lazarus, from the dead. He'd called him out of the grave, and he had said, come on, let me show you the power that I have. Now, the tragedy, if all that we had to go on was that, is that Lazarus would one, again, one day again, poor Lazarus, die again. He'd go back into that grave. But Jesus did something different. Jesus did something different than anyone who had ever died and come back to life again could say. He continued to live. And he continues to live in this day. And I love how what Jesus does is he comes alongside people all along the way to remind and reinforce this idea. Because not only does he show up to the two Marys and then to the disciples and to the 500, but later along the way he ends up showing up again. He ends up showing up to one of his closest, closest friends, a guy named John, who's imprisoned on an island called Patmos. And he reveals himself to John and he says, this is what I want you to see and understand today. And if you got your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. There we see this beautiful picture where Jesus continues to talk about how he is living that day. In Revelation 1, verse 17 and 18, it says this. When I saw him, this is John, he said, I fell at his feet. I fell at Jesus' feet as though I was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Yes, I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The reason we can celebrate that he is risen and the reason why I have the ability to have the conviction to say that it matters to us today is all because of the line he says right there. I continue to be the living one and in my hand I hold the keys to death and Hades. Death, of course, is the state we enter into when we physically die. Hades, as we understand from a biblical worldview, is the place our souls go when we die. And Jesus says that I am now in control. Maybe I've always been in control, but he shows it in a different way, that he has the power to deal with what happens after that. The thing that we celebrate is the fact that Jesus had brought about all that he had promised. When he said, you know what, one day I'm going to be broken and bleed out for you so that there could be forgiveness of sins. Jesus had already gone on to explain 
and so do other biblical authors, that because of our sin, because of the things that we have done wrong along the way in our life, we deserve death as a permanent state. We deserve separation from God for all of eternity. And while we might kind of balk at that a little bit, if we're honest with ourselves, we all know we don't deserve a whole lot of good because of the way we live. From the lies that we've told to the hurt that we've caused towards the brokenness we've left along the way of our lives, we all know that we're far from perfect. But God, because God is perfect, we call him holy, set apart from everything else, we believe that there has to be this gap. But Jesus says, I no longer want to leave it like that today. And so when Jesus came, he climbed up on the cross to die as a perfect man and fully God so that he could descend into Hades, taking with him the keys for our souls where they are meant to be locked up. And then he comes back victorious over that. On Good Friday, we had an opportunity here at the church, many of you were able to come, where we walk the stations of the cross. And we often celebrate Good Friday in a very heavy way where we remember the weight of what put Jesus on the cross. The, the weight of the cross for Jesus wasn't just that he physically was in torture, but that he was emotionally and spiritually tortured too because of our sin. And so as we walked around the room, we ended up thinking about our sin and the pain that we caused. And actually, this cross over here is covered. You can see some of them, some pieces of cloth in which we nailed our sins to the cross. But there was something that was really ugly about that. If you were here, you got to see the cross, and it was covered with awful words of the things that we've done, the things that we've said, the thoughts that we've had, and all the, the nasty trash that comes out of our lives. But then something beautiful came out of that. And that's why we've decorated this in this way, is just to remind us of that. Even if you worshipped with us on Friday, I wonder, did you think about what happened on Holy Saturday? We don't think about that a lot as, as Christians. We often think about Good Friday, and then we get excited for Resurrection or Easter Sunday, but we don't think about what happened in the middle of that time. We go, okay, well, Jesus was laid in a tomb, I guess that's what took place. But while we don't know exactly what happened, we have this insight in what Jesus says in Revelation 1, verse 18. He, had, he took hold of the keys of death and Hades. I don't know what happened exactly between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, but what I do know is that Jesus did what he needed to do to unlock or close certain doors so that we could live with him. Jesus gave this powerful image of keys so that we could understand what everything here meant. We all know that keys represent two things. They represent authority and access. Right? Our keys show that we belong in a certain place. But they also show that we have some form of stake some sort of claim over that place. 
Any renter knows this. Anyone who's ever rented a house has had some form of, of, of thought inside their head where we know that even though we have keys to a place, we don't really own it. Right? I've been there, right? You, you know, like, yeah, I can do some decorating. I can make maybe some changes with my, my landlord's permission. I can have sort of my people come into this place as long as they're not people for some reason that my landlord said I couldn't have. And, and we, we know that we can sort of have people come and stay, kind of come do our thing. But at the end of the day, the one who owns the keys and holds the, the master key is the one who has the power to decide what takes place in that home. Even if you've been in a place as a renter for a really long time, you know that at the end of the day, the landlord, the key holder, has the ability to change what takes place. He can evict you. He can move you in. He can tell you who can come and go because they have the power over that space. Jesus wants us to know that that is what his death and resurrection means. And it's a really good thing he rose again. Because what good are keys to someone who is dead? If you've ever gone to someone's house after they've died to help clean up the space, it's always this weird moment when you get to wherever they keep their keys. Because you don't have any idea what any of those things do. Like, like, there's never just the one to the, the deadbolt, right? There's always, like, a key ring with, like, a thousand keys, and then those were the ones they always had, but then there's, like, four other key rings that they've collected along the way, and maybe some of them work the thing still, and maybe some don't, and you have to sort of sift through it. Jesus says, I don't want you to ever have to think that's what's going to take place. Make no mistake. I hold the keys to your life, and to your very soul, because I live. Jesus will never be without control. He will continue to live on and on again with the keys. And he says, I want to do something magical, something wonderful, something that you cannot possibly expect to take place. I want to invite you out of death, and suffering, and pain, and separation into love, and relationship, and being in my presence. Why can I do it? Because I took hold of the keys of that place, and I say who can come and go. That same John, who wrote the book of Revelation, also wrote this in one of his letters. He said, he that is Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He wanted us to understand that he, Jesus was in power of everything because of what took place before, from the very beginning where he created the earth. That's why in Revelation 1 he said, I was the first, but he also wants us to know it will continue to the very last. He wants us to remember the words of Jesus, that Jesus said, with me, you can be in paradise. If you would put your faith and trust in the one who holds the keys, I will unlock what chains you and binds you and causes you pain and suffering, and I will allow you to walk in freedom with me. We celebrate that he is risen because Jesus rose from the grave 
with the keys to unlock us spiritually, to bring us into his presence, to keep us from separation for him, and to bring us into a place of love and hope and joy and peace. That's what we celebrate on this day. But it gets better. It gets better even than that. And that's what I love for those of us who who have come to this place where we've moved beyond the grave. You know, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our whole life changes. And we wait patiently for that end of times peace where we get to be with God in, in heaven and in a new creation. And we, we wait for the restoration of all things. And we're going to talk about that in a sec. But, but there's this in-between that we live in now. All of us who are followers of Jesus live here now. In this now of the kingdom of God, God's unlocked the gates of hell so that we can come out he's allowed us to step out into freedom but we still live in this place where things are difficult where there's much to be done where the fullness of god's kingdom has yet to come but because of what happened after the resurrection we know that there's more than that what we see at the end of the the first verses we read in matthew there is that jesus said come and see me in galilee he says that first to the women and then he tells them to say that to his 11 other disciples he says come meet me in galilee i want to show you something better i want to invite you into something more and he invites them there and when they show up we see that he tells them something so profound about their purpose and the power that they have to live in this now and not yet that we live in. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we know this if we've been around church for a long time, it says, Jesus said this to his followers. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I hold the keys. So go. Make more disciples out of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now there's a lot in there to, to unpack, and I, I don't want to so much focus on the purpose, though there's something there, and there might be for you. If you're feeling purposeless in this season, remember that because he is risen, you have a purpose in everything you do, in every single day. But, but I want to go beyond that. I want to catch just what he says there at the very end. He says this line, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time being pretty darn discouraged about what I can do on my own. I recognize I have a lot of frailty. I have a, a lot of limits that I run into through all of my life, and I recognize that I have this amazing ability to constantly screw up everything that I try to put in place. And so when I hear this call of Jesus out of him coming out of the grave to go and do this, I, I can often, sometimes if I think about it from my own strength, think, wow, there's no way I can live in this now and not yet part of life like it just seems like it's going to be pain all along the way and jesus knew that i mean he had lived life he had experienced the worst of it and so as he spoke to his followers and as he speaks to you and to me he wants us to hear this part that comes after 
You're not on your own. But in fact, you're empowered. I've given you a good gift. I am physically holding in heaven the keys. But into your very being, I breathe my spirit. And so I'm with you always. I need to really think about that for a second. The spirit of the living God dwells in you and me. If we follow Jesus. If we receive what he did on the cross and on the resurrection day, the spirit of the one who holds the keys to death and Hades comes into you and me. The spirit of the one who can hold back the only thing that can ultimately overtake every single one of our lives lives with us and in us and through us. Before Jesus told them on that day, he had also told his followers something else. He said, one day you're going to do things that are even greater than what I've done while I'm with you. That's amazing. I mean, if you read the story of Jesus, you see that he's performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He brought a guy out of the grave. He brought himself from death to life. And he says, guess what? There's even more in store for you because of what I've done, because of what I've given you, because of what I've breathed into you. There's so much more to our life in the now and not yet if we're willing to step into the promise of what God has offered us for the present. Because he is risen, we have the opportunity as the collective people of God to go out into the world with confidence that we are not alone, that we are in him and that he is in us simultaneously. There's so much freedom in that. I don't know about you, but I have felt a lot of my life as a follower of Jesus uh, as being an experience of fear and shame. I felt shame because people tell me I'm an idiot for following Jesus in his way. And I felt fear because I've gone, I don't know if I can do this thing. I don't know if I can share about Jesus in this way to people who might look at me and think I'm crazy that I'm talking about a man who died and rose again and lives in heaven and is one day going to come back again. Like that is fearful if I'm honest. But if I live in that way, I deny the very existence of a living and resurrected Jesus in my day to day. Jesus says, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live as an empowered people. I want you to know that together you will be able to do and see things greater than what you have seen while I have been among you here on this earth. So go and live that way. Live like I am the king who holds the keys, who's in control and with you this very day. Jesus said to Peter as he established the church, he said, on, on you, Peter, you are my rock. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will never overcome it. I have such a bold sense of conviction, not out of me, but out of him. 
The reason I can trust in the church, the collective people of God trying to move and build his kingdom, isn't because of us. It's because I know that Hades can't overtake us because Jesus has the keys. And he's on our side. And he's empowering us. He's helping us to live and move and breathe and go about our day. When we truly believe that, it changes our lives from a place of fear and shame to a place of hope and joyful boasting about the one who lives and moves and breathes. Jesus has the keys. He has the power to lock up our enemies, to free the captives who he wants to set free because of what he's already done on the cross. And he just says, I want you as my people to really live like I am risen. Will you do it? Will you go beyond the call and response of saying he is risen, he is risen indeed, to actually live like it? Will you actually live in the manifest presence of the Spirit of God in every part of your day as you live and move and breathe? And even when you face the pain and the shame and the fear and the mockery and some of the disappointments that come because of who you are, will you trust that even though you're pressed down, even though you're squeezed in, even though you're beat up and bruised, that you will never be defeated because Jesus is on the way. Not just in spirit, not just in what he said, but physically as he holds the keys. We are so fortunate that there's that extra piece of that promise that Jesus will one day come back again. I mean, this is good news. Because like our souls, before we come to faith in Jesus, we recognize that our whole world around us is struggling and suffering and dying. But Jesus promises that one day he will return. And not only will he continue to bring out the newness that he's put into us, but he will make all things new again. And then his presence and his power will be found everywhere all at once. I believe that. And I hold to that conviction because of what Jesus has done. On Good Friday, I got to spend time with a gentleman who, who was really struggling with some uh, long-term back problems. And, and because of that, he doesn't feel much hope. In fact, he looks at Christians and he just doesn't get it. He just looks at us and he's like, what on earth is taking place? And I was trying to explain to him, you know, I know you can't see the hope now, but when you come in to the presence of the living God, everything can change. Even though he has this view of foolishness in what we as Christians believe, those who are faithful believers who suffer the same fate in the now and not yet know and have hope and can move a little bit more freely because of the promise that Jesus will come back one day. There's a lady who I find really inspiring. I found her inspiring my whole life. Her name's Joni Erickson Tada. She's an inspiring woman because she has all the reason to be defeated in this world and to be frustrated. This is her today. But when she was, I think it was 17 years old as a young girl, she decided to dive into a bay. Misjudging the depth of the water 
this girl who dove in as an athletic young woman full of hope came to the surface as a quadriplegic. Joni has every reason to feel beat up, to be frustrated, to be angry because of what happened on that day. But still years later, when she talks about suffering and the sovereignty of God, she's able to say this, I have hope in the future. The Bible, because the Bible speaks about bodies being glorified. And so I know the meaning of that now as I've come to Jesus. It's the time after my death when I, the quadriplegic, will be on my dancing feet. Now I know some people think that that's a little naive to say. And that's not something that we should focus on, but I think it's really something that we can embrace and celebrate today. You see, Jesus is the living God. He's had his body completely broken. He's laid down in a grave for three days, and yet he's still able to rise again, to walk again, to live and move and breathe. And so we can trust in the promise that comes beyond the grave because Jesus says, I will come again, and I will resurrect and renew not just me, not just those who follow me, but all of creation, so that those who have put their faith and trust in me can experience all that I would have for them. So no matter where you come today, as you approach this Easter Sunday, I hope that when you hear or see the words, he is risen, it changes your way of thinking and being. If you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've just got to. It makes all the difference. It helps you get through every single day. It helps you have hope for the future, even in the midst of your suffering. Jesus wants you to know that you are a slave to sin, but you don't have to be. If you would trust in him and what he accomplished on the cross and by rising from the grave, if you choose to follow him, there is another way. He will open up the gates of hell. He will let your soul be free. And then you can experience an empowered way of living filled with the hope and wonder of who the living God is, and then one day you will get to experience all that he would have and rebuild. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I encourage you at some point today, whether it's to say he is risen or you have an Easter dinner with your family or you just experience the the community that's here in this place today i encourage you to just take for a second a moment to invite the holy spirit to speak into you today the very real and living god is with you and he wants to speak to you today he wants to change your life he wants you to be empowered as you live and move and breathe say holy spirit what do you have for me jesus living god the one who holds the keys what do you want to do in and through me and allow him to lead you and guide you into what's next. As a church, I'm really excited that we get a special celebration today. Because sometimes it's, all, it's easy to talk about this stuff, but still feel really disconnected about it. But today we get to have a baptism. I'm going to baptize in a few minutes my friend Reuben. And I'm excited for you to hear his story because he's going to share about what following Jesus means for him. He's going to publicly declare his faith and trust in Jesus, and it reminds us, once again, in a tangible way, that that message from thousands of years ago still transports through time and has meaning today because Jesus is a very living and real God. We're going to witness an outward symbol of an inward reality. 
The baptism is going to represent putting Reuben to death from his old self, the one that's bound in sin and shame and fear and death, but he rises again like Jesus rose from the grave, washed clean of all his sin, empowered and ready for a new day. As we prepare for that, though, let's take a few moments and we're, we're going to sing uh, a song called Oh, Praise the Name. And as we, as we sing and as we prepare, I just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit for that moment or maybe ask God for the first time to come in and change you and set you free. But before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what we have to celebrate today. Jesus, is so cool that we get to say you are risen and that it is true, not just in spirit like some person whose memory lives on in us, but Lord, that you are really alive, that you came back from the grave, that you continue on in life, that you bring newness to each new day because you are in heaven with the keys, that you are building your kingdom through your empowered people here on earth and that one day you will return and that you will make all things new and that brokenness and back pain and frustration and hurt and heartache and, and, and financial struggles and emotional and mental challenges and, and our disabilities and our illnesses and our diseases, that that will all be wiped away for all those who step in anew because you rose from the grave. So Jesus, we praise your name. We worship, we, we, we give thanks to you that you did what only you could do on that day. And so God, we hope that in part, the voices that we raise over the next few minutes, the thoughts that we have, the prayers that we offer up to you, the, the moments we, we choose to receive what you'd have for us, Holy Spirit, we pray that those would be pleasing to you and that it would bring life to us and joy to your face. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.